Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Kids, do you like professional wrestling? Well, we like professional wrestling too. Sorry to be late here, but uh, travel issues, which I will get to in a moment. I am Jeff Hawkins. He is Chris Novembrino. Chris is having audio issues. I'm having travel issues. Everything's foobar. Chris is typing. <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm I'm re-getting the show slate because my preamp decided to fucking <laughs> shit the bed before we got started here. Uh, just dynamite, maybe king, the king of the ring thing. Yeah, uh, we're gonna do dynamite and king of the ring. Yeah, yeah, and maybe a ice cold take on deadline if you have one. Um, I have like two, and that's about it. Cause it was, it was a, it was a show that existed and was there, but it wasn't offensive like some people made it out to be. I think I think it was decent, especially the men's Iron Man challenge or Iron Contender challenge. But uh, no, I went to Cincinnati. Uh, to watch a Bengals game and to visit our friend Sean Ross Sapp. Title of this episode is Sean Ross Sapp Punched Me in the Face, which he did accidentally at the Bengals game. <laughs> he's cheering and he's like turning around and stuff. He just skull cocks me right in the jaw. <laughs> I go, what the hell, Sean? And then they called the touchdown back and it's like, oh. so like every time they made a play, he pretends to punch me and I have to sell it for him. <laughs> just uh we had a very lovely dinner after but my jaw was still sore but yeah no i get i get to cincinnati planes late and then we have to sit on the tarmac for 45 minutes i go to get a cab because i don't want to wait in the uber line the three cabs there leave cab stand shuts down i get some guy's brother in a like 1989 dodge caravan you called a taxi <laughs> and me being a dummy i get in <laughs> With, with this is how this is how many horrible movies begin. Oh, I knew, I knew that 10 minutes in, but I was being dropped off first if I was going to be dropped off. And then he goes, he fumbles. It's a dirty minivan, too. And he fumbles in this cup to get a uh, like a swipe thing. I'm like, I am not giving this man my credit card number. I <laughs> Here's 60 bucks. And I prayed for the people who were in that van with me because one was a German man who didn't speak English. You needed to go 70 miles outside of the city. <laughs> just went oh my god this guy's gonna I, get ripped off I, I hope that i hope that fine gentleman got to where he wanted to yeah go. that's all i thought too he goes you want my number for a pickup thing i go i get that he's hustling for work and that was cool but i said nope no thank you <laughs> i just left and then on the on the uh on the way back i was on a flight that got delayed 10 times 10 10 10 and eventually canceled <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It started at 7.55. They canceled it at 9 p.m. <laughs> and just kept, like, they kept Unreal. stalling this, it this... and stalling. And then they blamed customers for, for who, oh, they chose to stay. It's like, no, nobody ever offered me anything. Everybody else did things through the app. I was there because I wanted a direct flight. I hate connecting flights, but get there get there today for the flight. I, I you know, I, I got an upgrade, which was very, very nice. But then, then it's like on the uh, on the announcement, it was like, uh, yeah, catering no showed. So if you want food, go to the vending machines across. The thing. I'm like, what's the use of being in first class if all I can get is like a couple of drinks and that's it? But uh, no, I made it home. <laughs> I never want to go through CVG airport ever again because it is the most boring airport in the world. I think it's it's just a long stretch. It's just a straight line of gates once you get through. <laughs> none of these airports. I get, are I get, that, I, none of these airports are that amazing. I get. I get. Well, no. Like, there's some with some things to do. At least like shopping and stuff that's decent, or at least you know, you know, you can go to an arcade or like. I like. I think it's Raleigh Durham that has rocking chairs. I mean, those are nice to you know sit and kind of watch and stuff like that, but. There's no place to relax in Cincinnati airport, really. It's it's just one of these things. And it, here's second day I, I'm checking in, and I, my bag gets flagged by TSA. And he can't find the thing that, that set off the alarm. So he looks at me, he goes, guess we'll have to risk it. <laughs> just go. <laughs> uh, oh, for those watching on video, I am in Scottsdale, Arizona, in my parents' room. Uh, it's, it, it's good we're still doing TSA here in the year 2024. <laughs> and, uh, it's clearly useful. Yeah, so um, in lieu of like a lot of these shows that I just didn't watch over the week because I was busy, I, I watched a lot of ADO. Uh, Chris assigned me King of the Ring 1993. I'm not yeah, sure yeah. whether to thank him or not. He and oh, I have... That was a good show. That was that that was a good no no. It goes no. back to a terrible time in my life when I was watching wrestling though, and I, I did. That really was like a fun. I, that was a fun time. First half capsule. was fun. First yeah, it was, was a fun time capsule pick. Uh, um, uh, yeah, a few a few major stories that happened uh, in our absence here. Uh, Kenny Omega out indefinitely with diverticulitis. Uh, emergency checked into a hospital. Um, I believe on Friday. Uh yeah, so the same. That's thing. unfortunate because that Golden Jets angle was really settling in. I thought. Don't steal my lazy river because I am going to knit a flag about that stupid promo. Yeah. Uh, I, I've had mild diverticulitis. It is not fun by any means. And remember, Brock Lesnar had a really bad case to the point where they had to take out like a couple feet of intestine. Right, right. It. I mean, it, it is not a fun time had by anybody on that one. So, yeah, out indefinitely with that. Charlotte Flair on uh, this past week's SmackDown tore her ACL, MCL, and meniscus out at least nine months, I would say a year, because those things take time to get fully, fully strength and healed if you come back at all. And uh, finally, both Mysterios have re-signed with con company Dom, a new contract looking to be about five years, and uh, Ray announced that he resigned with WWE. So, more Mysterio Science Theater 3000. Uh, I mean, I mean uh, you know, I my think son, <laughs> I applaud this company for signing 
a man at advanced age who's visually impaired like Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Wait. No, his eye grew back. Well, yeah, but we don't know if it's 100%. Well, we also know his knee isn't 100% right now either. Well, it hasn't been 100% in a long time. Well, I mean, he just had surgery. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, can we get can we get more Ray promos? This this man. They brought him out for commentary in that North American title match. He's a sick, He's so boring good. person. He has... <laughs> He he's so intense and yet so boring at the same time. It's like, I mean, like Baron Corbin has an anti charisma that makes him somewhat charming. No, and, and Rey Mysterio has the same thing. No, no, it's it's as a babyface, he's uncharismatic to the point of being charismatic. Ironically, oh really? I think so. You think so? No, okay. I, I find I find his complete inability to be human weirdly endearing. Like he's really trying. So we're gonna do uh, some lazy rivering here on various things, and I will start because you just mentioned it. That uh, that Golden Jets, uh, <laughs> Ricky Starks and Big Bill promo battle. Good God. That did nobody any favors. It was like you take worst aspects of everybody and uh, and get there. I hope there's not too much echo on this recording, by the way. The, the bedroom I'm in is cavernous, and I can hear the sound bouncing. Um, <laughs> no, you sound fine. I'm sure I'm going to be a little more echoey than usual, but I'm going to try to get up on the mic as much as I can. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's start with uh, the entire... Okay, so ran, random observation about Ricky Starks, just attached okay. one. His promos are infinitely better at 1.25 speed than they are delivered at 1.0 speed. Like, for whatever reason, Ricky Starks actually improves in a substantial margin when you speed him up. This, it's, yeah, oh, go ahead. It wasn't this, good, but no, yeah. Uh, number one, this segment felt like it was completely produced by Chris Jericho. Like all of it, like, like the entire staging of it. Like, like he came in with like a 30 page script of here's the 15 minutes of this promo. Cause it hit, it hit all these Jericho greatest hits, the attempt to get a catchphrase or a t-shirt phrase over. I mean, it was Rudy Tootie booty, you know, all, all through it. It was, it was yeah, uh, Rudy Tootie, Rudy Tootie booty. That's right. It 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 called back to a glory day segment of Jericho because this is very much like Jericho and The Rock talking to Booker T, Big Show, and Stephanie McMahon at one time, uh, where you know they're trying to cut him down. And here, here's the thing: I think Starks and Bill are great. They ooze, <clears throat> as Trevor Dame said, they just give off coolness, and. They need to be built up, and I I don't understand why you're tearing them down instead of saying, hey, you guys are great champions, but when you get in here with us, we're more talented than you type of a promo versus, look at you, you look like a more dressed-up Enzo Amore. Oh, oh, that'll, or, you know. Remember when you were Enzo Amore, or, yeah, remember when you were tagging with Enzo Amore? You You know, and the Billy Starks joke just fell ass flat 
Oh, dude, Jericho's <laughs> jokes suck. Like, let's real talk. There's a reason he's a groundling. No, uh, no. <laughs> I, I mean, he he is he is way past the dad joke phase of his life into almost grandpa jokes. Can, like, can, like, can I ask a question? Because it comes up for a subject we just talked about. Who is a worse promo, Kenny Omega or Rey Mysterio? Omega's pretty fucking. I'm sorry, I need to stop like dropping f bombs. Uh, Omega's pretty <laughs> rotten. Like, like, yeah, like, like, like he he also has. Like, you know what? I won't go for monetization. I'll let you cuss as much as you want tonight if you want. Yeah, no, I, had a few. I, I, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's just uh, sorry. It was just the second you said like like Omega's. No, his his promos. I have such a hard time. He's so weirdly inhuman. It's always it's very. It's like this Captain Kirk thing. It's very methodical, but it's methodically yeah. bad. It's mechanic. No, almost. it's 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 Captain Kirk. It's Bill Shatner. Oh, you, oh you're right. It so is. Spot, yeah, I think that I can do. <laughs> you think that you're so much better than us, Ricky, and also <laughs> the other guy. But here's the thing: I don't trust. Chris Jericho. I would never trust Chris Jericho. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? Have you ever seen the movie Deep Cover with Larry Fishburne? Oh my god. It's it's so great because it's obvious. It's almost like nobody's ever met an actual drug dealer <laughs> that movie. It's like every bad stereotype and everybody's just playing the worst stereotypes you've ever seen in every movie. Like Jeff Goldblum is just chewing up scenery and overacting. It, it's, it's an overacting. Everything needs to be so big and so enunciated and he needs to shake his head when he says, there's it. a lot <laughs> of head shaking. Yes. There's a lot of head shaking. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Very, very over gesticulated. And then when you pair that with Chris Jericho, like these two guys. And they're going to win the tag titles, I think. Their miscast is baby face. They would be such if, good If heels. Kenny can come back. I don't think Kenny can come back. I don't know that Kenny can come back. Yeah, yeah. For, for a while. But, uh, oh, you're right. They'd be great heels. Oh, yeah. Th this team would be unbelievably grating. Because they're already unbelievably right. Great. No, I know. I all you would have to do is lean into what they are. I was and, cheering for the young bucks over these two. That's how grating they were. I found myself <laughs> cheering for Big Bill. Yeah, and Ricky starts at the end of this promo. Like, you know what? These guys suck. Yeah, no sell this. No sell the this yeah. crappy promo and tell, tell tell them their jokes aren't funny. I started marking uh, for starts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like when the names all bombed, you know, I, I I think it was very much a judgment call of do you still keep with it? Um, the first couple of times, sure you keep with it, but like every single name that Jericho threw out there, and there were like five, which is also just breaking the rule of three. There were five names; they all sucked, and. What, what, did he, what, what did he come up with the, the ultimate assholes? Was that like one of his names? I think so. there was, you know, uh, Rick, right, like the, it was, Rick and the were, Dick. Rick and the was, Dick. They were like the laziest, the laziest names. Like they were actually. And he like, was, and he was searching for the ch one that would get them to start chanting. That was the best. <laughs> it was like, and why would you make Billy Starks the punchline when she's headlining Billy. your ROH pay-per-view on Friday?
I just that that was just such bad timing as well. I didn't even think about that component of it. I just thought it was a reference to WWE and how they pull the first name and the last name off of like. That's what I thought the reference okay. was. No, no, no. It was it was to, it's, to the female wrestler that that uh, she's uh, Athena's minion in oh. uh, in ROH. She's about eighteen. She's been on a AEW programming before. Um, she's pretty I good. Was, I I I believe that, but like, boy, these jokes really sucked, huh? Yeah, I'll 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 love level it up with a positive if you don't mind. I've I've enjoyed these matches for the tournament. It's just that there's no emotion in the tournament whatsoever. But I'll tell you something. I will watch Mark Briscoe. I will watch Roosh, and I will watch Andrade do whatever they do any day of the week. Like Andrade is trying to be in that meat division. That's how much he's bulking up right now. He's just he is ginormous now and that that match against brody king on dynamite i i love that match i just thought it was just two guys just beating the absolute crap out of one another and roosh roosh always comes in to be stiff and i love him too and of course mark briscoe to me is is underappreciated but the emotion of the matches is all being done on social media in terms of being mad afterwards i mean they'll occasionally play a tv promo on dynamite or not dynamite on on rampage and collision, but for the most part, it's like okay, here's these great matches, and they try and get the story over on commentary when they're not cracking jokes. But you know, I, I kind of want to see more of these promos, not just you know like the like that. You know, that's uh, they do like one every week, and and it's and it's good, but you know, I want more. I want I want to feel like it's not that the tournament matters but i guess i want to feel the ebb and flow the emotions a little bit more rather than just watching the matches and go okay that's that result let's look at the score you know that kind of thing the storytelling to me is a little bit lacking in terms of outside of the ring stuff like you know is are people changing strategy are they getting you know more and more desperate do they want to like right that's the thing that like normally makes a good g1 is like a revision of strategy a reassessment oh this isn't working i should try something new somebody makes a heel turn during the tournament realizing that like you know their their regular kind of traditional wrestling strategy isn't good because their backs against the wall um, I'm with you. Like, I think this tournament is very emblematic of sort of like our sustaining criticisms of Khan's style of booking, which is that like he places so much emphasis on the good match that he fails to understand what makes some of the mechanics of some of these matches as storytelling devices intriguing in the first place. Yeah. Um, a bracket tournament like this, or, or like like not even a bracket tournament like this, although a bracket tournament would be the same thing. Um, but like around Robin's very good for this. Someone starts piling up losses. They go on a losing streak after the third loss. Maybe like they're not doing things right. Maybe they need to actually, you know, take a look in the mirror here. You know, um, that's the thing that, uh, is, is very much missing from this. The, the deeper latent storytelling. Yeah. It, it, uh, the yeah depth you're not is, finding that. I mean, like, like I know 
Danielson is trying on Saturdays to do it. That 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 part I'm getting out there. That I think that part's okay. It, it's just it's one of those things where it's inconsistent. I think it's the inconsistency that that's getting me right now. Um, anything non King of the Ring 1993 because I got a few more areas to go to. But if you you got something to go to right now, um, you want to do you want to do deadline? We can do we can talk about uh we can talk about a little bit of the uh, deadline results because I I liked that show. I, I overall thought you know it was yeah it was, I thought it was a watchable show man. Like, and both both of the Iron Survivor matches. I mean the men's was just perfectly booked i mean that that whole that was righteous that That made trick in a night and the women's wasn't too bad i mean lash legend got to be the star uh tiffany just doing crazy things i think the only match that really for me under delivered was uh was the kiana james uh roxanne Roxanne Perez, perez sure because you know now it looks like we're turning roxanne perez heel again or turning her heel ish uh, it, we we just had outside interference in the men's Iron Survivor with Eddie Thorpe, and now we get it with uh, Izzy Dame. You know, it just it just felt overbooked to me. But um, I'll tell you the moment that I really marked out for on this show was uh, Briggs and um, Dijak choke slamming guys, and anything you can do, I can do better. I want them as the skyscrapers. I want those two as a team, just a giant team going in there because we don't have those teams anymore. Those, those giant, two giant dudes, two big dudes with a manager who go in there and just kill little guys. I thought that was uh, Briggs was awesome in this match. I thought, yeah, no, Josh Briggs was really good in this match. And it's, it's like, as I'm really looking at this card, I increasingly have to like score up how I felt about the two Iron Survivor matches because like the rest of the car really was nothing to write home about. But like I left with an overall good impression from this show, and that has to be because of the Iron Survivor matches. Yeah. Um, the, particularly the men's. The men's is the men's is very entertaining. Um, I mean, I'm watching this match, and it's like you know, and there's like what, like like five minutes to go, and Trick Williams has zero. I'm like, there's no way they can figure out a way to get him to win this thing. And then all of a sudden he gets like four pins in a row or four victories in a row. And the one against Braun was awesome because it defied expectations. Cause you think usually, okay, here, here's where the baby face is going to fire up. And then Braun breaker is going to get the win and we're all going to be deflated. But no, I think they made a star in a night there with trick Williams, even though, I mean, he's the most over guy at the PC anyways. And, yes. you know, and, and Ilya Dragunov's awesome and everything. I mean, we don't right. want to give him No, no, no. I, I, I was actually just about to pivot into that. Like, Ilya Dragunov versus Baron Corbin. Look, uh, it's a Baron Corbin match, right? <laughs> it but, was a Baron Corbin match. And it was extremely a Baron Corbin match. Yeah. But then you have this little moment where Ilya Dragunov, Ilya Dragunov's super hard by hugging hugging Baron Corbin right before he murders him. And I thought that made the whole match. Really? That okay. like, yes. I thought that was great storytelling. Uh, that like you've brought out this new worst element in me. Thank you. Thank you for the, th- the horrible things you brought out of me. I'm now going to kill you. Uh, I loved it. I, I like, like I, I just adore the characterization that Ilya Dragunov has brought to top of the card champion. It's, it's such an interesting take on the role and like doing what is 
like a true tweener thing and finding this dynamic when he's working as the baby face to give him like just enough justifications for slight heel tweaks and vice versa. He's, he's a great champion. He really is. Yeah. I, I like him a lot. I, I, I mean, it's probably not going to surprise anybody, but he's my wrestler of the year. Like I, I, I drag huh. it off. Dude, he's been killer this year. He, he, he is, he got, he earned himself a role, and when he got the ball, he ran with it. He and he's just murdered every one of these matches. Um, it's a, one of the better Baron Corbin matches for being extremely a Baron Corbin match. Yeah, uh, he he's awesome, dude. He's 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 an all time great wrestler, man. Yeah, and uh, and Dragon Lee is the uh, NXT US champion. I I think they're just gonna. I think they're gonna hot shot that belt back on the dom i i found that to be a very perplexing move i mean that was that was anti my predictions going into that show too where i was just like i don't know why you'd belt dragon lee and well west well west was gonna be what west was gonna take the belt i think okay and they, okay they just decided that they were gonna give it to dragon lee here but i think they're gonna put it right back on to on dom yeah on dom because of the heat he gets from it um well also i think just to stack up the title the title wins too he'll eventually be able to be like i'm like a multi you know time u.s champion or whatever two quick uh main roster wwe things um cm punk got it together in week two i know that uh week one on smackdown he did he did that line about uh people shouldn't punch their co-workers for tribute to the troops and that audience just didn't know what the hell he was talking about because they don't follow aew i think that's why they didn't get it uh but came back with that uh promo uh with uh seth rollins and i think uh boy i think he's doing an anti a Cody Rhodes gimmick so bad. I think he is he is he is like the Wario to Cody Rhodes is Mario, and I think it's fantastic kind of how he's trolling people as being the uh, 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 he's being a uh, earnest baby face, but he's not at the same time. I'm I'm digging that, and uh, let's give uh, the champ his flowers. Roman Reigns gets dragged by the work rate purists so bad, and I get that. But as a presence on a show and behind the mic, he has gotten so good during this championship reign alone at owning the room. And look, are the lines always great? No. Is the material always great? No. But his oh, delivery. Man, when, it, when, when the material is good, he, he is crushes great. it. He yes. crushes it. Yeah. Like this I, Randy I, Orton thing he did Friday was great. I mean, Orton. This is this is Orton's Batista in in polo shirt run. Yeah, yeah I mean no, he's totally, he's absolutely totally. just. I mean he's killing it, but at the same time he's phoning it in in so many ways. No, yeah, no, no, no fucks Randy Orton's fun. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah I'm enjoying him. But uh, I I was watching Roman and just listening to him and doing that whole thing about you know who's you know gonna take over the trial chief. They his delivery. He's this heel run. Which we all, I mean, a lot of us question at first, and we should. And look, I think the title reign has gone on far too long. But boy, it has done wonders for his dude. His 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 confidence out there and his his presence. presence, He is a character. He he was Georg when he was the friggin' baby face, you know, Superman push. 
that like like his entire character was just York, and then he punches the guy. Um, and now there's this like fully formed guy with swagger and arrogance. And you can question the tribal chief as like a narrative crutz, and like obviously I have, but it is what it is, and we've moved on. Um, like he has clearly like he just has such a, you pre, you said it right the presence he is a presence in a way that he never was when they were trying to push him as a baby face okay and that's just the truth yeah no I, I i totally agree i have nothing else for current wrestling we'll we'll get back to it and be a bit more attentive this next week uh how do we want to do king of the ring 1993 do we want to just do like lazy river thoughts things or do we want to Yeah, man, okay, so like we'll we'll start with this. Like why did I choose this? Um yeah. I was jonesing for some Bret Hart in my life. And so I This is a Bret Hart pay-per-view. I know. In every it, way and form. In every way and form. And that and that is why this was selected. This was selected because Chris wanted to watch Bret Hart because okay. Bret Hart's I, like, I remember when this wrestler. when this originally came on. I was a sophomore in college. Uh, I was on uh, Rec Sport Pro Wrestling, and we would watch pay-per-views. Um, when was this? Let's, let me get a date proper for this. Oh, this, oh, I remember because this. Oh, this was summer, nineteen ninety-three, because they made a reference to the Suns and Bulls playoff series. Uh, this is when I was really into the NBA and I was a huge Phoenix Suns fan. And my brother was the uh, Bulls fan of the family. And the boy did that break my heart. Uh, I didn't like 1993 WWF at all. Um, watching this though. I love the first hour and 43 minutes. Um, it was so good, right? Like, like pre- Bret, pre- Hart, Bret Hart's yeah. righteous, man. Yeah, He's well, such a great wrestler. He's pre- so, the, so a good. lot of my, a lot of my noticing things were like verbal of how they were presenting things and, and whatnot. Like uh, for the, for the preamble of the tournament, number one, McMahon, all McMahon in terms of introducing us to this. And boy, did they want to get over that Dayton, Ohio is the heartland of America. Dayton, Ohio is the most boring city on earth. <laughs> I, I, I love, I, I love that. Like right in the heartland. I, I, I that's a you know, phrase. Not, that I not feel. Iowa. You used to hear the heartland. Not North Dakota. In... Not, 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 not the Midwest, not really, you know, the mid Midwest. It, it, no, Dayton, Ohio. That's the heart. This is where Hogan wanted to do his Yokozuna thing because I'm sure old old Manhattan Vince does think that Dayton, Ohio is the heartland of America. He probably thought corn was grown in Dayton, Ohio for some reason. Might be. You never know. Um, I think, like, on this, and I mentioned this to you pre show. Jim Ross is very much in old WCW Jim Ross for me. He has not yet been broken mentally by the taunting of McMahon in his ear or Heenan, who absolutely Heenan buried Jim Ross <laughs> when he started mentioning schools. But, you know, Savage's game, but he had, I mean, he's emotional and he's connected to the product, but he's not good. And at times, uh, but he's at least trying. Heenan is cooked to me. Heenan is just doing all the race baiting stuff, trying to crack jokes here. And there are times where Savage is even going, it's not very funny, Heenan, or brain or whatever. You know, just no selling jokes. You know, Jim Ross still has his 
still calls Asian people from the Orient, which is xenophobic, but still mildly endearing in some ways for Jim Ross, because he's just, I mean, that's just Jim Ross. Um, A lot of xenophobia on this show. Uh, It is a time capsule of 1993 wrestling, or at least... We th- th- what this is uh, when I said this is a Bret Hart show. Remember, this is right after, or not right after, but it's it's shortly after WrestleMania 19 in Vegas, where they did the, kind of the screwy thing where they take the title off of Bret, give it to Yokozuna, and then they give it to Hulk Hogan. And so they kind of just decided to use this King of the Ring to rebuild Bret. And if you look right, at Bret's yeah. opponents, it's it's Razor Ramon, uh, Mister Perfect, and Bam Bam Bigelow. Three guys who are great work rate guys. So yeah, this is going to be a special. And then they're going to introduce the the feud with with Jerry Lawler, <laughs> Burger King, hey, Burger, Burger King. King. Um, although I will admit I've kind of got a soft spot for heel doink. Heel yeah. doink's kind of a good. Well, we'll we'll get to that. We can go match by match or round by round. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Also of interest, playing backstage reporter tonight. Um. Uh, Terry Taylor, because we're I, I watched the Coliseum video version of this. That was on. Yeah, Google. I did too. I did it as well. Yeah. And he's actually not a bad da- Dasha bot because no, he actually does not. back and forth. Oh no, that's that's a very good point. You know, he asked them, you know, have you been working on your I mean, the, the the interview with the uh, smoking guns where he asks about their finisher and how how they've been working on it. So I'm like, man, he's asking better questions than Kathy Kelly has in her two years I, back with the company. I actually kind of like backstage Taylor, Terry Taylor. Like I was like, oh wait, the Rock and Rooster. Yeah, let's go. Um, Rooster, yeah. So eight men. Uh, it, after after uh, qualifying matches in here, uh, it is a. <laughs> in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was 
scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all three-in-one offering you triple security so you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door but it's not just for security the eufy video lock is also for convenience no more concerns about losing keys and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras some other great features we love about the eufy video lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a phillips screwdriver no drilling required keyless entry no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full you never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters you also have 0.3 second 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service. Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the UV video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second, door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Here's something you will always learn about WWE tournaments. Uh, the monster heel always gets a buy in the semi. So Bam Bam Bigelow is the monster heel in this tournament. He will be getting a buy. 
Uh, but overall, I I have a soft spot in my heart for all eight of these wrestlers for various reasons. I mean, Brett's great. Razor's great. Perfect, of course, is great. I love Mr. Hughes. I just as a presence, he he's all he's the he's the one not, guy in yeah. my wrestling. He's the one guy in my wrestling fandom who looks more like a professional wrestler than actually can perform as a professional wrestler. But he's a sweetheart of a trainer and a guy from what I hear. But I, I, when he when he took on the uh, the big Bubba Rogers outfit in WCW, kind of, and he was t- he was. You remember that he teamed with the Diamond Stud, now known as Razor Ramon, and he teamed with Vinny Vegas, I believe, uh, who makes his debut here as Diesel in WCW. They had Haas teams with him. He was the big cat for a while because they tried to do the same thing that they did with uh, Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd, uh, well, with uh, with Keith Lee. They gave him the big cat nickname because he's from the Midwest. He's from Kansas City, so they decided that. But I always loved Mr. Hughes. I, I just, I just do. I, I, he always like the glasses and the scowl, even in ECW, which was a work rate, but I mean, they, they call him the roughneck and he comes out to, uh, is it MC light who did roughneck the song? It was just such a badass interest. It was great. I hate WWF Jim Duggan, but I love mid South Jim Duggan. He is such a hoss, but I mean, he does his job here. Bam Bam is on his second tour of duty because he went to WWF. Uh, they tried to make him. Um, they 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 basically built the first Survivor Series around Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, right. As Hogan's friend here, and you know, yeah, they brought Oliver Humperdinck as a, as his manager. So, and then he goes to, uh, you know, he goes to to NWA and gets absolutely crushed on the mic by Ric Flair, who calls him Fat Boy, um, and then goes to Japan for a while to to kind of uh, reconcile. I think I think he went to another company as well but then comes back here as the monster and then luger he was in wcw for a minute i want to say he was in nwa for a minute he was NWA, yeah. okay yeah. but that was like 88 89 and this yeah okay okay so oh, well, i thought back. he was like he did do a stint i want to say in the 91 wcw that might be true as well um yeah i want to say he's on one of those pay-per-views at least lex luger is here uh as the narcissist and uh I don't know. As I've watched more and more old Lex Luger, he was horrible on promos, but he was trying so hard to be good on promos. You know what I'm saying? Like he came in with a plan for every promo he did in the, when he was a member of the Horsemen, and he just could not put words together to save his life. But this narcissist gimmick is kind of working for him a little bit. It, it kind of works for him. Like, yeah. like it's a stupid gimmick, but once the match starts... Luca really found a halfway decent match rhythm for this narcissist character. The entrance is stupid. The presentation is stupid. But, like, <clears throat> the whole gimmick around the forearm, it's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. And Tatanka, a.k.a. War Eagle Chris Chavis from uh, Hampton, <coughs> Hampton, Virginia, Bethel High School. Uh, got a lot of local media when I was uh, growing up. Uh, he's still on his undefeated streak, which right, they, which, they had to protect here. They had to protect here, but also I just recently ended up watching. I think it was the Raw or the Superstars where they beat him, right? And that was such a anticlimactic thing because they they beat him to uh, Tony Holm, uh, Ludwig Borga, right on his rise, and then they just they just lost aborted all the yeah the Ludwig Borga thing really so. Fast. 
random thoughts on uh, Heart Ramon, if you have anything specific. I really liked the finish to this, like the 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 finishing sequence to this match. So like because like, it wasn't a finisher. That's what I liked about right. It. Yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of ways, you know, Hart Hart, of course, you know, always very clever about you know finding other ways to finish matches than just put people into the sharpshooter and it's the same finish every time. And I think that makes. I, honestly, it's like why am I rewatching Brett matches? Because I don't remember how every Brett match finishes out. Right. Um. Yeah. You know, and that's like I mean, part of the replay value of Vader matches for me is the same thing. Vader had many different ways that he closed out a match, and I, I think that's a commonality between my two favorite wrestlers. Well, I like um, that this I, wasn't the pattern, also, where it's like yeah. you, know, you do your setup and your finisher, and then the guy's done or whatever, or he kicks out of the finisher. He escaped out of. He escapes out of the race. Razor's Edge, um, and that leads into a, a sequence, but that's not the end of the match. That leads that led to a near fall that was a good enough near fall that it actually baited me. I was like, oh, the match is over. And then I realized the match was not over, and I was like, oh, heart got me. Hell yeah. Can I be able to say I loved the commentary to start this match because they, they, they were talking about Ross and, and Savage really got into tournament strategy on short matches. And how you have to go, you know, you may be more aggressive in the beginning so that you can save your energy for later that night, et cetera, et cetera. You're trying to get the pins a lot quicker so you can get some rest in between. Uh, you may not want to have a feeling out process because of the time limit. I, I really, th this hit Ross's strong points at this time in his commentary to me. And Savage was willing to go along for the ride, which I really liked a lot. Yeah, and again, Heenan completely useless on this. I I, I was just, Heenan and Ross never had amazing chemistry in my opinion. No, and, uh, yeah, no. no. And and and, he, and Heenan Heenan felt like he was the voice of Vince a lot of times. I think I brought that up already. Uh, yeah, you already did. Yeah, Perfect and Hughes, I thought was it was well booked in terms of look, it's a DQ, but they were protecting Hughes to to lose to the Undertaker. So he used the urn to continue that story and get heel heat. Perfect uh, second best towel throw in, in his career where he does it behind the back and lands on Hughes' shoulder. Yeah, that's that a was good great. one. That, that's a good one. Um, and I liked that he attacked with the urn afterwards and hit him in the head a couple times. It, you know, They didn't play it up as much in the later round that he might have gotten a concussion from, which I thought they were going to do. Or they should have done a little bit more, but I, I, you know, I didn't mind the DQ here because it was like one of those things where, look, Hughes is being safe for the Undertaker. You can't beat him right now, and and Perfect looked now look, babyface Mister Perfect, because this is right after, or this is like a few months after the the team up against Flair and uh, Ramon, at I think it was was it Survivor Series or was it Royal Rumble. Where it was where they did the whole savage picks uh, perfect as his partner type thing. Um, if you don't remember, don't worry about it. I I, I kind of remember. I don't remember when that happened, but I, I mean, I remember that angle and like no, I I mean to build off the babyface Mister Perfect thing because I, I, I like I, bring, I, bring I like babyface Mister Perfect. He has an edge to his babyfaceness. Yes. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, yeah, and, and I always I love the body glove outfit. That he always wore, although those things are cheap as hell because they always break on somebody chopping him. But it was such an original thing because this was a couple years after Living Color came out with Cult of Personality and Corey Glover was wearing body glove. 
uh, during that the surf suit to come out. I I, I really dug Perfect's wardrobe at this time. He just he had swagger, man. Yeah, per- Perfect Perfect was really really good. Uh, yeah, I did this particular vintage. I yeah I I like him. Um, you know he's a guy. He's definitely a guy I always wished, you know, had more of a WWF run, like as a legitimate champion. Cause like, I really wanted a better WCW run after this. Yes. I know. I know they really didn't get good work out of him in WCW. And it was super annoying. Yeah. The, the horseman angle I, I hated. I mean, he was such a great horseman material and really the, the missed opportunity is if rude were able to come back and, Hennig were able to come back those two as a package or as part of a stable with like a flair and an Anderson. Oh, give me that all day. Give me that. And then turning perfect heel and making him join NWO. Was, was so yeah. it's so character the it, West Texas rednecks. Yeah. Right. No, like, like right. Yeah, no, I know. It's like, you know, I'm just going to be Kurt Henning now. No, 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 you dude, you don't get it. You had the best, like one of the best gimmicks ever. You were Mr. Perfect. Like, uh, Oh, here's the other thing I noticed in, in like the preamble. So when, when they were going over the, uh, the the bracket, like not only did everybody have their name, you know, Brett Hitman, Hart, Razor Ramon, but it was always like the the dastardly Mr. Hughes and the evil Razor Ramon. They all had qualifiers for all of them too. And I was like, oh, it must be Vince is on one of those kicks where he wants a qualifier for everybody in addition to their nickname as well. They were doing that with uh, the the last run with Vince. Remember, he was doing that with uh, yes. big uh, big Bronson Reed. Yes, and, yeah. and, and all the other guys too. I mean, like that's that's a time honored trope in Vinceisms. Uh, Bigelow beat Duggan. Pretty straight was, ahead. Yeah, really straight ahead. I, I mean, Bigelow looks strong here, and he he's he's the big baddie of the tournament. So Duggan was a really good selection to build up Bigelow, though. Too. I, yeah, yeah, Duggan's a really good gatekeeper babyface. Yes, he like is, and it's yeah, and it's weird because if you watch Mid South, because the ring is smaller, I mean, Duggan is a big guy, a big bird. That's that's the thing you don't get about like ninety three. WWF is a Hoss Federation, but the ring is so big that guys look small in it. And, and we'll get to that in a, in a bit when we get to the eight-man tag. Uh, Luger versus Tatanka in a time limit draw. I thought this was a perfectly uh, booked match in so I many actually, ways. This this over-delivered for me. Like, Lex Luger and Tatanka are not... Neither one of them are my favorite wrestlers. And I found myself legitimately enjoying this match and going like is this luger or tataka or both of them but they're having a very good match like like, wasn't wasn't a dazzler but like it wasn't bad they had a plan it they actually told a coherent story of that match uh Luger doing the the histrionics with the uh with the with the uh cover for his forearm i i dug that you know yep you know god Keenan is just doing every bad racist Native American joke you can think of. Uh, I I love the anger. I mean, Luger is in his pure over. He's the Kenny Omega of his day in terms of just absolutely overacting about certain things. Like like when he's throwing his tantrum during after the draw and demanding five more minutes. 
it's hilarious but it's it, it's bad but it's good for for lex L- the lex luger character it's like hold on i came here to win the king of the ring specifically i want five more minutes like nope it's a draw <laughs> no i like that and then like when he gets the match restarted just immediately hitting him with the bionic form. like yeah, i love that like it's good stuff I don't have all the talking segments in between, especially the Coliseum ones in here. So I don't have those in order on, on any kind of run. Sheet I, I mean, I will, I watched it on daily motion. So I mean, I did get the Coliseum segments. I don't know if I got, I episode. did, but I, I mean, I don't know uh, where the matches are, but like, uh, I mean, I guess like we can move on to Hogan or I well, mean, no, no, I, I want to give, I want to give some random thoughts on these. Like every, every segment with Yokozuna had, had the Japanese loot and then and the sitar and it, it's just <laughs> the dumbest thing. I'll talk more about the Yokozuna post-match stuff in a, in a second, but, uh, I, 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 what, what gets me when we go into heart versus perfect here is that, um, Gene Okerlund's an asshole right he's immediately <laughs> yeah like he and then and then and then gene okerlin at the back end of that interview acts like oh what the oh what did i do i didn't do anything like he's immediately needless. and he's and to. he's and he's healing brett hart who is the wrong guy to heal in this in this tournament because brett's gonna be the hero afterwards it's like well brett you were talking about mr perfect and say you could beat him any day of the week and said it should have been the other guy that was being healed on this match (laughs) i'm I'm, I'm watching this i'm like gene just just ask let these two have their rivalry instead of just trying to stir trouble between the two of them it was so (laughs) stupid to give them the direction that like one of them needed to be like the over heel in this match this like matt this match totally could have worked without perfect working as heelish as he ended up doing in this match and like having to do like a soft turn on him going into this match. All Howard had to do was just win. Your dad, my dad could beat up your dad. Your dad. Yeah. yeah. My <laughs> da- yeah it, there's not a day of the week that your dad could ever beaten up. My dad was like, like hilariously <laughs> dorky. Like, but yeah, no, right. look heart versus perfect. I mean, it was a phenomenal match. Well, I mean, it's 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 almost 19 minutes of pure bliss watching these two because they're so great. Both of them selling their asses off yes. for each other. You get all the great signature sells. Uh, I, they they are really great storytellers. Uh, and, and they while they're good at being economical, they were not necessarily being economical in this match. Mr. Perfect comes off the top rope for a really sick drop kick at one point during this match. I, I loved this match. This, 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 that, this took me to my wrestling happy place. I really enjoyed this. Yokozuna beats Hulk Hogan in his swan song for the WWE or WWF. Um, this is a Hogan match. And and Hogan sold and sold and sold and or or Yokozuna sold and sold and sold kicked out of the leg drop. Uh, eventually, Harvey Whippleman comes down as a cameraman. I I, I kind of loved uh, Chekhov's cameraman because they weren't focusing on the Whippleman guy. They were focusing on a guy who looked a lot like Dave Meltzer, to be honest with you, with a mullet as a cameraman. So you so you kind of knew camera guy some something was going on there at the time. It's a Hogan match, but it's a good Hogan match. Uh, this Jimmy- is a good Ho- This is a surprisingly decent Hogan match. Like I don't I mean Jimmy Hart with the act did nothing for me as a babyface though. 
No, he does not. Like if, if, if the the Coliseum promo too before the match, I thought was oh, really was terrible. Like, but 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 bad. on the flip side, the Coliseum promo with uh uh with Oakland, I think later Jack Tunney. <laughs> he goes, he says, millions of, like Fuji speaking is broken English for a while, but then but then Oakland goes thousand or like thousands of Americans very upset right now, and Fuji just goes, why? <laughs> Yes, I, that, I, 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 I know. I that, yeah, yeah, that, that was such a great reaction. <laughs> such a great reaction. Uh, but, um, but no, to go back to the match real quickly, I, I mean, look, um, you know, you're never going to get a ton of like praise out of Hulk Hogan from me, but I will say in this match, you know, if you're looking for an example of a match where Hulk Hogan actually puts someone over in a meaningful way, Yokozuna. He does do it here. Yeah. Um, there's no denying. I mean, he kicks out the leg drop. They make a big deal out of that commentary. It takes three boots to finally get Yokozuna down. Uh, and then Yokozuna, when he finally pins Hogan after the flash paper, Hogan does not do the ultimate warrior kick out. Hogan actually sits there and does the three for real skis. Can uh, I say, as someone who has now watched uh, Hillbilly Wrestling for a number of decades, um, that flash paper spot was one of the better ones that I've ever seen. I thought that was really well executed. Yes. I, I was also thinking that too. It was like, damn, that actually came off really well. That's better well. than the last one they did in AEW. It, 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 I, this was not what I picked this match out or picked out this pay-per-view for, but like this is one of the stronger Hogan matches, to be completely honest. Yeah, um, Yoko I mean, Zuna's it's not like good a Dazzler, too. it's a Hogan match, but... Yeah, right. Like I, th- I thought it was very well executed. I think I, I don't see. I have to go back and watch some of his world class stuff as Coquinas Maximus. When Yoko but that's gained not a lot, Hulk Hogan. Of, oh, yeah, oh, but what, about I'm talking about Yokozuna, and and when when I mean Yoko gains a lot of weight to play this sumo guy, and it's almost like, I mean, it, I think it eventually killed him. It kills him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kills him. I mean, he's lumbering around and stuff, but I mean, he does a good job with carrying far too much weight. And of course, the post matches. Let's bring in a bunch of Japanese actors playing photographers, because <laughs> we're gonna make this a big deal in Japan. Because I believe this was right at the time where New Japan was starting to get a lot of parade. I mean, WCW was working, of course, with New Japan at the time in '92. Because that's where Rude ended up jacking up his back. I mean, this right, is right. this is this is prime Chono Muda, New Japan. So they were trying to counteract at least some of the buzz in the wrestling world. If not, everybody didn't know about this. But you know, they wanted to kind of screw with WCW still a little bit, working with Japan, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but the overall point you should take from this is, you know, for a Hulk Hogan match, this was very, very good. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah. If you're looking for a time capsule on that, this is actually a really interesting time capsule on a Hulk Hogan match. And then we get to our uh, uh, four man. This, this is the eight man tag, yeah. The eight man, yeah, the eight man tag, uh, which is goofy. But like, what did you think it was going to be? I, I'm going to say this uh, because it's WWF and it's so campy all the time. DiBiase and Mike Rotunda are a Hoss team. They're a sneaky Hoss team. Like, you watch these matches that they had against... I think they had one against the Beverly Brothers. They had one against... They had matches against the Road Warriors. They are two big guys. 
Like DiBiase is six four, I think at least, and and, and Rotunda I think is six two, but they are bigger than you think they are. In terms of that, I mean, and then when you're in there with the Steiners, and of course the Guns, and this is Billy Gunn with blonde hair and a mustache, and you almost can't recognize him. Guns with caps that killed me, and the head shrinkers, you know, uh, Fatu before he became uh, um, uh, <laughs> Rikishi. Um, the match itself sucked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was, I mean the ending was so preposterous. He has him in the million dollar dream and he drops it to mock him and then gets wrapped up in a small package. And you're like, this is stupid. Package. F this. It's so stupid. Yeah, right. Like he has him in the million dollar dream. It's like, he's not done with them yet. It's like, what would he possibly do? And then they're like, he's going to have to answer to wall street. It's like, no, he isn't. Like, like, or IRS. Yeah, it's like, I no, did like no, that. Jim Ross brought up that he that that he brought up brought up that IRS went to Syracuse. Wasn't IRS? That was Mike Rotunda, and then and then said that he had won the tag team dials with three different partners, which I'm sure Vince was throwing a fit in the back. No, that was that was a different guy. You can't say that about because Vince was very much this character is different than is any it, guy is he's not, ever been. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like these are not the same people. These are different characters. Yeah, but uh, that's Ross before he was broken. That's why Heenan, I think, laid so much into him during this match. It's like no, no. There's no continuity in WWF. This is the guy. This is this is Irwin R. Shyster. <laughs> it does, and I mean later on that would Billy Gunn's a prime example of this. Where like later on that would evolve to the point where like Billy Gunn's continuity has nothing to do with the smoking guns yeah. at all. Yeah, he you know like, like that's just a name he has. We've it, mentioned it, it, we've mentioned before, but Irwin R. Shyster is the most problematic name for a character possibly ever. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean just just yeah. I, but just... here the most interesting thing about this match was the, the Terry Taylor promo with the Steiners and the Guns where he actually brought up them practicing their finisher and would they be able to finish it with them. And then you see I mean you see the magic of what the Steiner brothers were cuz Scott is just a terrible promo at this time, but Rick Steiner just comes in there just like a like a bat out of hell doing his dog face stuff and that's what always made him such an over baby face. And that's why he got over everywhere he was. Cause it's just like, look, he's a big dumb meathead jock who barks. And he never tried to be anything more than that. And he would throw guys cause he was just a, a savage. But uh, yeah, I, uh, this match so disappointed me so much. And then uh, Shawn Michaels with, uh, with Kevin Nash debuting with the name diesel, as opposed to my bodyguard defeating crush. 11 minutes of my life I won't get back. Tell me what you liked about this, Chris. Um, <laughs> My favorite line of, of the pay-per-view might be when Jim Ross, in all seriousness, says, this man, Crush, has had many problems with Doink the Clown, which we have documented on this broadcast. And I, I just, I thought that was a beautiful a beautiful piece of sentence <laughs> that that we got on this show. Oh, this ending where two this doinks, was... <laughs> and then they do the Groucho Marx thing from uh, Duck Soup, where they're doing the mirror exercise, and Crush is just such a dope. <laughs> but this, they are pushing Doink heavy because remember he, in order to get into this tournament, Mister Perfect had to beat Doink like twice. He had like a two out of three. <laughs> 
series with Doink, who was still Matt Bourne, I think, at the time. So Matt Matt Bourne, you know, pretty good wrestler, but still at the same time, it's like Mr. Perfect was feuding with Doink before Crush. And you're like, what do they... I mean, heel Doink is an awesome character, but at the same time, you watch and you go, anybody walks into this room right now, I'm going to be humiliated watching this clown wrestle. Yes, no, it's it's... Heel Doink is an awesome character. The execution on Heel Doink is not good, but no. you'll never you'll never get me to go, oh, this didn't work. No, the music's good. Like they actually did a really good job with his heel theme song. It's like really unsettling in, yeah. in, in an excellent way. I'm trying to um, remember who the second Doink here was. I don't I'm not sure if it was Phil Apollo or not at this time, but uh and, and Matt Bourne does a wonderful job as doink like he clearly yeah. understands like how to wrestle that style of match and he is a he is a really like a very solid hand um it's it's a very good it's a very good mid card act that was not fully executed because like vince doesn't have that vision but like it was the things were there like like, like that it was just the right balance between like because like now you have like these clown wrestlers and they go too heavy into the unsettling thing and like doink is still close enough to a conventional he's playful enough where his creepiness becomes even more creepy because of the play yes right right it's like the uncanny valley thing that actually happens when you're like still trying to create the veneer of being normal clown but you're actually not normal yeah yeah. And then, the, and then the finals. Uh, Bret Hart defeating Bam Bam Bigelow in another really strong match. Bam Bam cutting a promo for Coliseum Video that uh, it, it was a Bam, Bam Bam was never a strong promo. Let's put it that way. But he was, but he was always. Uh, how, how do I put this? You, you know how you, you're not the words may not be coming through, but the tone comes through. I mean, Bam Bam Bigelow, you know, you know he's a badass when he comes out there. So I mean. This, I like that he wanted. I liked in his promo leading prior not to the Bret Hart match, but just at the start of the tournament, where he's like, "I want to talk. I want to beat his streak." Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that was yeah, that was no, that was recall. great. Yeah, no, I like that. Was, that, that was a lot. that no, was right. dope. Yeah, I had yeah. forgotten about that. That was that was great. <clears throat> that and was then, a great uh, line. And then the angle with uh, <laughs> I, I did like the line by Bret. I mean, Bret Hart looked. Here, here's the thing. I, here's the problem I have with Bret Hart. I am not the biggest Bret Hart as a wrestling. fan person i i'm just not i'm he's good i'm never gonna say he's not good but bret hart doesn't do a lot for me uh but bret hart in as old man bret hart talking about how he wants to be an actor and stuff and he, but then you watch him on screen and he's putting on this cape and there's a little bit of a smirk there like what am i doing this is embarrassing you know very self-aware that, that he doesn't want me to do it. and then we get into a Jerry Lawler coming out and and uh, and and I, there are parts of this promo I found charming. Like you weren't even brave enough to get into this tournament because this is kind of this is a follow up to the wrestling classic, which was a one night tournament on pay per view that crowned Harley Race as the original king. Yeah, uh, right, right. Um, Jerry Lawler's only forty three here, which shocked me because I swear, I mean Jer- Jerry Lawler. I swear like he was 50. older than that. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah, no, I would have thought it was fifty. Yep, I think I think he's only forty three here. If I got if I have my math right, and 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 Lawler is just in WWF. Lawler does nothing 
for me. Absolutely zero, especially on commentary when it becomes a seventh grade, you know, poo poo pee pee boobies guy. But I mean, as a wrestler, I mean, he's he's obnoxious, but over the top so. And the heart feud really, I mean, it it was it was Vince McMahon booking Jerry Lawler. Which and when you go back and watch the Memphis stuff, and you can see the depth of what Lawler could do, and you just see what WWF ended up doing with him, and you see such lost potential and what they could have done with a guy like Lawler, you just kind of shrug and go, "Well, it is what it is." But uh, yes, Burger King versus King of the Ring. Yeah, I mean, once once they made him Burger King too, it's like oh, it, it's just a it's a total. Brett saying Burger King, Burger King lives rent free in my head, trying to get that chant started. Mm. And then it's stuck though. I mean, they they called him Burger King for a while. Oh, they still call him Burger King. Well, no, they don't don't anymore. They now revere him as a legend. But they did deep into his career. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, maybe it worked. Maybe it's good. I mean, why why didn't Lawler get any cross promotion when had Burger King sponsored things and stuff? That's that's lost money. I, 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 I mean people. that that I know. Well, that, yeah, and and certainly when Vince was fishing for advertisements, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe in Vince's mind too, the getting a Burger King chant started might you know, actually they get call like me the uh, Burger King, promoter. but nobody can beat the real Burger King. The Whopper with <laughs> cheese is such a <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, that's a big Whopper. Ah. Yeah, yeah. In retrospect, like the first half of this, I mean, it's not that the Yokozuna and the eight man tag and the Shawn Michaels beating Crush are horrible, but the pace established by the tournament matches really makes it feel like the, the, the show is dragging in so many ways before we get to Hart and Bigelow. To me, yes. Yeah, you, you definitely feel, I mean, dude, I, I was not sitting there eager beaver for this intercontinental title match. Um, and, I mean, clearly just a misusage of the intercontinental title here as the match where you at least get the work rate thing going back. Uh, and, I mean, I guess maybe they thought they could take that off this pay-per-view because you have Bret Hart doing his thing so aggressively. But, like... I, I it's just that that double momentum killer of the world title match, then the intercontinental yeah. title match, yeah. which was weird, uh, a weird sort of like decision, and then the the actual King of the Ring final was just strange placement. All right, let's end it there, um, I guess, unless you have anything else. Yeah. I don't know uh, that I do. Okay, cool. Uh, on X, you can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. We are and we are. Uh, Chris is on Instagram at Doctor Nov D O C T O R underscore N O V. We're part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Podcast for any of your uh, fandoms. If you're a Japanese wrestling fan, if you're a fan of old wrestling, we have podcasts for you uh, there. I am also part of a Fight Game Media now, uh, all free. I do the Dynamite show with uh, Paul Fontaine. We go live about 20 minutes after Dynamite ends on YouTube. Audio drops the next morning. You can find that uh, at Fight Game Media's YouTube page. Chris is uh, in the winter solstice. He is trapped in a luxury hotel, writing his novel, being haunted <laughs> by ghosts. But he's yes. also going to give. He'll also give you guitar lessons while he's being uh, spooked. 
Something like that. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in guitar lessons for the holiday seasons, please hit me up on Instagram, D-O-C-T-O-R underscore N-O-V. Um, uh, Jeff is referring to what will be my uh, winter season gig here where I will be working on top of Sandia Peak here uh, for 24-hour shifts a couple of days a week. So that'll be fun. If you're interested in seeing what that looks like, follow me on Instagram as well because I think that will definitely yield some interesting pictures, whether it's ravens, mountain lions, or anything else you might find at the uh, top of the upper terminal. You never know what we might have up there. And uh, we'll see you later this week. Sorry for the delay, but, uh, you know, travel happens. Hopefully my mic will work then. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you, you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.